when I come in and tell you make an offensive attack and make a primary search on the third floor, it just better happen really fast. I don't care how you do it. I don't care what color hose is. I don't care. But it better happen very efficiently. And uh, if it doesn't, then we'll deal with that. Firehouse Vigilance presents the Weekly Scrap, a podcast dedicated to the never-ending fight against complacency. Corley Moore, Firehouse Vigilance, Weekly Scrap, number 124. My guest this evening is none other than Clyde Gordon. He has 36 years in the fire service, 30 years at the Houston Fire Department. If you know him, you know his reputation for a strong work ethic, exceptional fireground operations and management, and my favorite part, building uncompromising integrity and responsibility in a crew. He travels, he teaches, he speaks, he is sought after, and I am lucky to have him on the scrap this evening. So, Chief Clyde Gordon, welcome to scrap number 124. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. I am excited for this evening's conversation. Is there anything I missed in the intro? Anything you would like to add? Oh, no. Uh, that was uh, uh, a little nicer than it ought to have been, probably. You know? Fair enough. <laughs> you're, you're never as uh, popular or as uh, experienced as you are on your resume, right? I love it. <laughs> Uh, the, the audience, uh, please get your questions ready for Chief Gordon. Um, and also, I like to always say at the beginning, if you find value in the scrap and you want it to keep going without me doing stupid ads right here while we're live, uh, go to firehousevigilance.com and support it. Uh, there's buttons there to do so. And one thing I want to say is I think, I think, I think I've gotten rid of the dinging of the stars when people give stars. So hopefully we'll find out tonight. If anybody gives any stars, we'll find out if that dinking has gone away. I've been working really hard on it. So I, I've heard you people who said that the stars are annoying. So here we go. And Tony Nunez right off the get said, oh, snap, can't wait. Here we go. We're going to ride with Clyde. It's going to be awesome. Uh, I'm going to start with one of my least favorite words in the fire service, and that's complacency. You call it the silent killer. What do you mean by that when you say that? Uh, well, I think... Uh... You know, complacency is one of those things that just starts taking over the fire service and firefighters and fire stations. Uh, it gets so easy to get discouraged and disappointed in maybe your work environment or you're not making the runs like you want to or, or whatever, and you just start to uh, just let it go, right? We forget what our sole purpose and what our what has led us to the where we are. And... Uh, we just start to take everything for granted, right? You, it's always driven me crazy. I can go and maybe talk to some guys or do an inspection of a station and, you know, ask them some pertinent questions about the half a million dollar apparatus that they write on every single day. Like, hey, what do you pump on the front cross lane? And they give me the old, uh, you know, uh, 150, right? Uh, but they can tell me what a running back did in 1998 when he was in high school, you know, in the seventh or the ninth grade. They can tell me how far the guy ran and what his shoe size is and everything else. But the piece of equipment that they're riding on, they don't even have right basic knowledge, you know. And uh, <clears throat> what happens is, you know, that just takes over our thinking. And then um, we lose our skill level and, and we just get off track and then we're in trouble. Because what we can't ever anticipate with some jobs, you know, you can is you never know when this job's going to go bad. Right. You never know when everything that you have is going to be called upon for someone else or even your brother. 
or yourself. And if you've been complacent for the last four and a half years, you're not going to be in a place you need to be. Solid. No, man. And I love it. I love it. Cause you know, the, the podcast byline is the never ending fight against complacency. So anytime I can talk about it, I love to talk about it. Um, well, you know, and, and I know it's probably every fire department, every large fire department, you know, you see it, you have your go-to guys, you see the crews that maybe you don't have as much confidence in, and it just really frustrates me, right? Um, we don't need to be there. We don't need to do those things. Um, <clears throat> the complacency leads to so many other mistakes. And, you know, mistakes on the fire ground are every day. They're going to happen. Um, I always talk about them like they're a domino, right? Everybody brings a domino to the fire ground, and we set them up. And if you just place them here and there, they usually don't cause us really any problems when they fall over. But when we start lining them up is when we start getting that chain that creates these problems that will cause these line of duty deaths and injuries and everything else. And the complacency just adds to that. You know, I get the opportunity to go to a lot of fires. Right. And, uh, you know, just the basic skill level of some people is just really frustrating. And that's not because they don't care. It's just because they've become complacent. They, It's easier to sit on the couch and gripe about stuff or to watch the football game than it is to actually be consistently up on what we do. And because that takes effort, you know, and sometimes you're just not in the mood or you've been beat down by bad leadership or whatever. And, uh, you know, this causes a lot of issues. Absolutely. A lot of the fires, you know, I go to, they tell me, Hey, we've got a water supply problem. Well, I don't truly believe that the city of Houston very often has a true water supply problem. We have water supplier problems, because that guy's got a 90 degree kink in that intake somewhere, you know, but uh, we don't actually have a water supply problem. And that's just complacency in my mind. I love it, man. No, uh, I was going to ask. No, I got it. I got it. No, I had a technical issue. So yeah, I was dealing with, let me get my notes. <laughs> no, believe me, this has been a, this has been a challenge this evening already. So um, what have been your most successful strategies when dealing, when you, when you identify the complacency, what's been some of your more successful strategies? Is it, is it, is it mindset? Is there deliberate actions you take? Just kind of walk, walk us down that path. Well, so, so I believe that all, like in the position I am now as a district chief or battalion chief, um, to me, all of this, my career and, and my development of as, of an, as an officer to me, it's a culture that you create around you. Um, we, you know, you know, the guys that come in and they were a piece of garbage a week ago, but somebody promoted them to captain. And now they're the guy that wants to, you know, break everybody's backs over stuff and the rule follower. Not, well, that guy's not gaining any respect. So you have to create a culture. And one of the things that I do is <clears throat> I treat a, I've had mistakes in the past as a young officer, not doing some of the things that I should have done, not intentionally, but just, it just caused some problems. Sure. So one of my deals is expectations. It, it, it doesn't matter who you are. When you come to work for me, <clears throat> I'm going to share my expectations with you. What every single day I expect from you, what level of training, what level of firefighter, everything that we need to be. Because I think if a, Firemen are firemen, right? If if you expect nothing, they give you nothing. Right on. <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> it's just the, let's just be truthful. You know, if you expect them to do nothing, clean nothing, and can sleep all day, well, they will if you let them, right? So um, 
I think it's a level of expectation. It's accountability. Uh, every rank in the fire department has built in accountability. Um, I'm going to come to that officer if I have issues with this firefighter and start holding him accountable because guess what? When he came to work there, I shared my expectations with him, what, how I was going to hold him accountable. And, uh, I think that's, you know, what you have to do. You have to have difficult conversations with people. I would think most people, well, there's probably a good split. They either love me or hate me. Right. Right. Um, the ones that hate me probably are pissed off because I want them to do what they're supposed to do, you know, and, expect them to know how to do what they're supposed to do. Um, <clears throat> but uh, the guys that work with me on a daily basis, they realize that it's uh, really just expectations set. And I will hold them to that expectation, not uh, criticize them because they made a mistake, because we all make a mistake, but we learn from those things and move forward from that. Absolutely. Love, I love your focus on uh, expectation because without them, you can't have accountability. And without accountability, right. you can't have, yes, I love it. Uh, yeah, how, how's a guy work with you and do what you want him to do if you've never sat down with them and explained that to them? And uh, then on the other side of that, when they, when they don't do those things, you know, figure out why. Don't just go in there like a friggin' hurricane, right? Um, what's the deal? Is it a training issue for him? Does he not even know what it means to train on stuff every single day? Right. Right. Um, is it a educational thing? Cause we're all mentors to each other from the newest kid washing the dishes to the oldest guy there. We're mentors to each other. So you need to, we need to continue to educate and mentor each other in what, what's expected every single day. You know, we all have leadership capabilities. That youngest kid, guess what? There's going to be somebody behind him before long. He may not run much, but he should run the mop and the kitchen sink better than anybody else so he can share it with someone else later. Um, it's just our expectations for each other. And really, what do you expect from the guy next to you, right? It shouldn't be just the officer's job. This guy's going to be your backup, and he's going to come in and take care of you and work together with you. You should hold expectations to each other also. Love it. Got first question coming at you from the audience. It's a question I'm sure you've fielded many times. So, but it's from Christopher Snow. He asks, "What advice or pointers do you have for the crew members that are under a toxic and complacent company uh, officer?" <laughs> oh, leave. <laughs> Just run. Uh, you know, I mean, unfortunately, well, fortunately, I work with a place that's got what a hundred fire stations, so you know we can hide and go other places, but, uh, yeah, I, I just can't imagine. I have worked for those people before and I was lucky enough to get out of there, but what do you do before you can do that? Um, I think the guys really have to draw together. So if you have three, four guys, whatever at your station and you have that toxic officer, I think what you'll see is they'll just naturally, the guys who are into the job who want to do a good job, uh, they're going to draw together and they're, it's almost going to be an us against him kind of thing. Um, you're not going to change him. I don't think him, her, uh, I think you can try and I think you should try. Right. Um, it's just like when guys come to these conferences and stuff, people say, well, these aren't the right guys. We need to be talking to the guys who aren't there. Right. Well, I think those guys are the right ones because they're going to come and listen and they're willing to go and take that home and try. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Uh, so if you are 
trying to change an environment or a culture, uh, it is very difficult, but you just have to be positive. You have to not give up. I tell people all the time, don't lower yourself to someone else's standard, right? We hold a standard in my district. This is our measuring stick. This is our standard, and we're always trying to get above that standard. When my guys leave because of promotion or transfer or whatever, say, hey, don't you're, that place you're going may not be up to where we think we are. Don't lower yourself down. Bring people up to your standard. And that's all you can do is to group together, continue to move forward, realize he or she won't be there forever. Um, but that, that has to be a miserable place to be. And, you know, when I joined the fire department in Texas, I don't know, I'm guessing there were probably 20 places you could go to work and get paid to do what I do. Well, now there's probably 50 places within half an hour of where I live. Right, right. Right. So I hate to tell people to go find another place to work, but uh, this career is too short and too important to be miserable for the whole time. It's the best thing you'll do in your life. Find some place that fits what you're out to do. Love it. Good answer. And it's a, and it's a question we get. I mean, it's obviously a problem because the question comes up every time you have a Q and a. So absolutely. Sure. yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it's a cancer in the fire service, you know, some of these people. And, uh, man, I wish there was an answer. Really, it's a, it comes from the very top, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody needs to fire that guy or fix that guy. Let's be honest. And it goes to the you expectation know? and the accountability. So Yeah. And, and as in my position as a battalion chief, district chief, I can fix some stuff. I can make life miserable on you, right? Um, but some people are unfixable. So... But I would, I would just, like I say, I'd circle the wagons and keep the guys close to me, and we would be as tight a group as we possibly could be and just work with what you're dealt. Good. Solid. Dirk Janiak wants to know, what level of pushback do you get when you set your expectations, Chief? Oh, uh, <clears throat> well, I think you get a certain amount of pushback on, on occasion. Um I guess where, where I am, and I can only talk about, you know, what I'm com- or used to, right? right. So, um, you know, you always have officers and, you know, certain people that are, they're going to challenge you. They're going to fight you. They're going to do all those things. Um, it's real simple with me. I mean, you're, you're welcome to say what you want. And we'll talk it out. And I like to have a logical grown up conversation with you, but guess what? When they gave me those bugles that crossed, I win. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> Uh, I don't like to run things that way, but th- that's the truth. Okay. So right. um, we're going to, I'm going to try to see things from your point of view. See, maybe I am off base, off track a little bit, but if I'm telling you that my expectations are going to be this and they're reasonable and everybody else is doing them and you just want to fight. Yeah. Well, we'll fight. I don't have an issue with that, but I'm going to win and uh, you'll either just be miserable or go somewhere else. Um, but typically guys don't push back to that. You, uh, busy stations, busy districts, big chiefs that expect a certain amount again, right? You get what you expect. So it usually draws the people who want to be in that environment. Um, <clears throat> if you go to a real slow or whatever area that's just prone to not have that kind of mentality, you're going to have problems. Um, <clears throat> and usually those 
at least in my my department, right? The the guys who want to be busy and do a real good job and they're someplace miserable, they just end up leaving. So I don't really have a whole lot of issues, to be perfectly honest with you. No, no, I like it. Well, and when you start with expectation and then you hold people accountable to that, it really does deal with the issues on the front end, you know? Yeah, yeah, oh, sure, yeah. And I think most people would agree 100% that I'm probably one of the most fair people that you're going to find, and I'm 100% for my folks, but I'm also not going to compromise what I expect out of us as a group because what it's not about me. I, I'm not making you look good to make me look good. There's somebody's baby down the street. As my buddy Mo Davis says, you know, when people put their babies to bed at night, we're responsible for watching them. I'm worried about the baby down the street. If that hurts your feelings or messes, pisses you off, well, then you got the problem, not me. All right. So I'm going to come at you like a hammer. I can promise you. Got to write down the timestamp. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I had a good question coming at you, or not a question, a comment. That I, uh, How much do you change how you communicate? This comes from David James Stone. How much do you change how you communicate your philosophy slash expectations slash issues to the different types of officers as a BC? How much do you tailor it, basically? <clears throat> um. I don't know, man. I don't know to be honest with you. There, you know, obviously, everybody's different, right? And you try to, uh, I try to fit, you know, um, the way I talk to people and deal with people. But there's probably some of my guys listening right now, laughing because they're like, "That's a bunch of crap." He'll chew you out in a second, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, because they've been on that end of things. Um, I'm probably not the best at always you know catering to each individual person and it also really depends on the situation you know um, i think i'd like to say firemen in general you know we, we sometimes we deliver a message that's pretty blunt and pretty loud and pretty whatever but it's because of the situation that's going on and i just really need you to get this done for me right now but then we'll talk about it later i'm not a i'm the boss and that's the end of things kind right. of guy that's not me um and I, I really try to, like, if I'm having an issue with a guy, what is the issue, right? Is it is he having a problem? Is he just wanting to fight everything? Um, is it just an understanding? He didn't even understand. Because I've had captains work with me that I've said, hey, look, you're going to train at least every shift, blah, blah, blah. Well, they call me later and it's like, I can't get it done because I don't even know what to train on. And I'm like, really? But, hey, for some guys, that's an issue, you know? So we just work on that issue. But, uh I don't know. I think I'm, I like to be a, uh, I'm a real involved chief. Okay. So, because I want my guys real comfortable coming to speak to me. And, uh, I, a lot of people will tell you that you can't do that. You can't have a relationship slash friendship with people and be their officer leader. Right. And I don't believe that's true. I believe people will take advantage of that. If you are weak, Right. Right. But um, my I really want to be more of a family because I find out things that I need to know about my family when I'm there. If I lock myself in an office for 20 hours a day and only come out at fires and dinner. I don't know what's going on in that in my house, you know. So uh, I want to be involved. I want to know what's going on in your life. And you have to be out and about with these folks to do that. And what that does is that creates an environment for me, for my guys that uh, 
you know, they feel comfortable to talk to me, maybe even disagreeing and arguing a little bit. But then there's that certain line where they're like, you know what? We're not going to cross that out of respect for me and my respect for them. Love it, man. Uh, no, there's a lot. There's a lot to catch you up on here. Let me try and catch you up on some of these. Uh, change okay. the culture one person at a time from Robert Townsend. Culture changes one person at a time. Everyone can make a difference from Robert Queen. Everybody's talking about it. Chief Gordon. Another real deal from Houston. Other leaders pay attention. This is good stuff. That's from Shannon Stone. You got uh, amazing people talking high praise for you. So uh, That's awesome. <laughs> from Ben Hoepner, it says, never ask them to do something you haven't done before or are not willing to do yourself. I love it. Um, all right, there we well, go. Well, that's a – go ahead. <clears throat> Which part? Well, I mean – huh? No, go ahead. Sorry. Well, no, no, you're good. I, that That's just – that comment's a big, big deal with me. Um, <clears throat> I, I try to be really involved, like I said, and, and I'm going to be in the dirt with you, all right? I, I know chiefs who run stations who are never out there, and they they think everything is perfect, and it's they have a complete disarray of what's going on. Yeah. Um, I think all of my guys know that I'll load hose with them. I'll, I'll – uh, I'll do everything with them. And, and to be honest with you, um, you know, I got some street cred with them too, I think. Right. I hate to say that matters, but it does matter. Those guys know, I know what it takes to get a two and a half to the second floor. It takes a little, <laughs> right. I know what it takes when you're scared and hot and burning up. Um, so they feel comfortable with me out in the street and, and, uh, watching after them and, Again, it's a it's a relationship. Everything is about relationships. They know I'm watching them just as hard as they're doing a good job for me. Does that make sense? That does make sense, man. And and the and the relationship bit, I love it. And you hit the nail on the head when you talked about you can't sit in your office for twenty hours a day, come out for dinner and fires, and expect to know what's going on. And uh, yeah, I, I I don't get it. Um, and I know a lot of guys do it. And, and they try to, you know, in some places you go, there's a huge separation between rank and firefighter and stuff. And and it's just not for me. Everybody has different leadership styles. It's just not for me. And I'm lucky because I work with guys who know there's a limit, right? If we're playing and having fun, the chief might get wet too. But when the booper goes off and we roll out of the house, that guy's the boss, okay? Um, you know, and they, they treat me with that respect, and it's because – when they were in really big trouble at three o'clock in the morning, I was there for them too. And when their mama got sick, I was there for them. And when their babies were born, you know, no, uh, because we're a family. I don't work with these people. This is my family Love it. that I work with. So. Uh, Rob Fisher, and I got to bring this up because this was, we were in Arkansas and this came up, but it said, uh, <laughs> Rob Fisher said, Mo, you and Clyde should have double teamed to show. Cause he's talking to Mo cause Mo's watching. And he said, oh, well, we talked about, we were going to do it from a hotel room where you and Mo were just just sitting in a bed with the covers pulled up and doing a scrap. That right. <laughs> My was, little bed buddy, yeah. Yeah, that was our plan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're going to have to do it. I We probably have a different reputation after that, but, hey, I love me some Mo Davis and for sure. All right, but Mo Davis <laughs> did ask. He said, ask Clyde about the quarter-inch rule with a laugh out loud. I don't know what that means, so I'm, I'm, trusting, I'm trusting Mo right here as I, I ask. Know, I'm not sure about that one. Okay. I, I don't know. I'm asking. I don't either. Okay. He'll send me something. 
All I'll right. tell you, you know, wear your air pack. I tell people all the time, I was like, man, my brain just doesn't work like it used to. That carbon monoxide is a mother. Uh, someone else, William Seeley said, Chief Fisher, you need a scrap session. Also, I had to look and see, but Rob Fisher is March 21st. He is coming on the scrap. Not to oh, mention, there you go. I have another plan for him, too, but I haven't, haven't approached the subject with him. Okay. Um, we could put Rob between Mo and I. It'd be like a little sandwich in there. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> now we're getting some good, some good rumors going. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I'm scrolling through everything, guys. I'm scrolling. Uh, no, man, I'm good. Uh, I would hold over. Uh, I'm, I'm scrolling to. Okay, we're caught up on the comments. There's a ton of good ones for you. Will Barrow. Oh, well, that's good. All right, so <laughs> back to the questions at hand. Um, I want before I want to get this question in there before we move on because I want to move on to the parking garage fire and I have and I really want to talk about it, but. Any miserable failures when trying to motivate or fight complacency, or what's your biggest mistake that you've learned from? <clears throat> well, oh man, there's a lot of them. Okay, I'm almost getting too close uh, to the five the the five questions, but sorry, go ahead. No, no, um, <clears throat> I think I think one of the biggest mistakes that I made that really shaped who I am today was uh, uh, a firefighter that I had known for years and years and years. Uh, kind of off and on, right? I met him at the early part of my career and his dad and later in my career, as I was an engine captain, he came back to work for me and, uh, he was a, uh, paramedic his whole career, pretty much about 20 years. And when long story short, he ended up not being a paramedic more ended up on the engine. It's a super busy engine. I had a real strong crew. We made fires almost daily. Um, and, uh, most guys that kind of fell into that environment just fit in, right? And even though he was a little behind on skills and stuff, they caught up pretty quickly. Well, well, this gentleman didn't, right? And uh, it got to be where it was a really serious problem. And as a young officer, I didn't set my expectations with him. I didn't – I saw the problem, but I didn't uh, address it because I was so concerned about everybody liking me, hurting his feelings, making his dad mad. Um, those type of things that I, I just really let it go on way too long to where it became detrimental for him and my crew and everyone else. Wow. And uh, when it came down to speaking to him about it, that same day he told me that he wanted to transfer and uh, that there was an opening that he could get in the next week or two. And uh, so <clears throat> I'd let him do that. And I never really addressed any of the problems with him. And, uh, I let him walk out of that station, know that he had some serious issues, uh, it, tactically, uh, just everything, everything about what I let him walk out of there. I mean, he just had a lot of problems and, and about six months later he died in the house fire. Mm. And, uh, a lot of the reasons he died was it wasn't all me. Right. But there were aspects of that, that I could have changed that probably could have saved his life. And just my lack of, <clears throat> wanting to do something at that time or be the bad guy uh, kept me from doing that and just being young and inexperienced. And, and the reason he had gotten to that position was a complacency on his part and the six other officers he had worked with. Right. They just like, you know, we've all got that guy, right. He yes. just, ah, that's old Joe. He, he never does anything. He's always whatever, you know, and we never deal with the issue and uh, it costs this guy's life. So really, 
that's why it's changed me. If I got a problem with you, if there's an issue with your tactics or how you're doing things, I'm going to address it. It it just, if you're mad, I'm mad. It makes you cry, whatever. That's whatever. We'll get over that. Okay. (laughs) Cause we're going to address it and address it quickly and uh, make sure we improve it. We're going to fix the problem. Love that, man. No, the, the, the uh, ownership slash accountability there is amazing. And I will give you max points preemptively for question four when we get it in, into that one. So uh, absolutely. Um, I had a question here that popped up. I wanted to throw at you because it was a really good question. Seth Thompson wanted to know, with all the adversity HFD has faced over the past several years, how do you and your members keep pushing through it all over and over and over again? Uh, well, so here it is, right? I love the Houston Fire Department, all right? And a lot of us do. When I was a 19, 20-year-old kid, I walked in there and didn't know how to do anything. And uh, it has given me opportunities like I would have never, ever been able to experience doing anything else. Not to mention just I've done some of the coolest crap in the world. Okay. (laughs) I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't join the initially to save people's lives. It was the coolest shit I'd ever done in my life. Absolutely. Uh, You know what I mean? So, um, but as a, as a side effect, I got to save some people's lives. And then as I got a little older, I realized that was really what we're here to do. But, uh, um, so guys like myself, Mo Davis, we love Houston firemen. We love firemen in general. And we love the Houston fire department. Now, when you get kicked in the teeth all the time, it makes it really rough, right? So, and we have, and, uh, but again, we're going to prevail. But we also realize that, you know what? I don't work for any of those. I work for those people, but I'm not here for those people Mm -hmm. that kicked me in the teeth. Um, I'm here for that little baby girl that's down the street, okay? That's the whole reason I'm here. I'm 30. One thirty-two years in this fire department. When that booper goes off, I run to that car and I'm gone in less than a minute. Okay, um, because those people are counting on me, and they're counting on all those guys and gals that are coming with us. And uh, that's truly the whole reason that we're here. So <clears throat> you can sit around and gripe and complain about it and be mad about it, but it's not going to change what we're here for. Cause those people that dial 911, they don't give a crap what your problem is today. Right on. They need the best people they possibly can get coming. No one's ever dialed 911 and said, send me them lazy guys from station two. I really don't have a big problem. I got kind of a half-ass problem. They want the best they can get coming and as hard as they can get them coming. So what do we do? We circle our wagons again. Like I said earlier, working for a toxic person, uh, we draw closer together, just like you do as a family when you have a tragedy inside your family. We love one another. We we work as hard as we can to take care of the people out there. And, you know, me personally, I do as much as I can to make my guys happy. Um, I can't pay them anymore. I can't give them really many days off or whatever. But when they got a problem they need off, they're off. Um, if they want to play baseball. They want to take a nap on the count. I really don't care as long as we're ready to go and we're doing giving 110% when we roll out of the house. Whatever basically makes them happy and we're willing to still come to work and, uh, you know, within reason, right? I, I, it's my job to take care of them, so I do. And then I try to show the enthusiasm and still love the job and get out of the house and uh, stand out in that yard with them, man. 
right? When they go into that burning building, they walk past me. They'll never walk past anybody else because I'm their officer. I'm their leader and I'm sending them potentially to their death. So they're going to walk past me when they go in. there. (laughs) I love the language you use is very, very, I don't, I don't know if you even, it's so powerful because it's a, uh, yes, incredible. As Rob Fisher chiming in, said incredible response to Seth's questions about pushing through the adversity. Uh, know what Chief Gordon said. It's about duty and pride. Duty for why we are here. Pride in an organization, albeit different than it was when he started. Chief Gordon mentions ownership by being invested in his firefighters. Dude, the the I don't know if you do it on purpose or if it's just nat- like a, a natural gift or if you've learned to be deliberate about it. But the language you use is very intentional and it's very impressive when you say you know. Uh, who they have to walk past and who you work for and et cetera. And it's just very, it's, it's impressive, man. So, well, I, it's, it's nothing I try to put on. Um, It's just, it just means so much to me. And, you know, as you get older and you live life, things happen and you learn things about how important some things are and some things aren't. And you learn about life and death and tragedies and, uh, Man, it, it, that's who I am. Uh, those those people are my family, you know, and, uh, and and the reason is, is because I had those mentors, too. Right. I had guys that I knew every time I peered out a window or came out of a nasty hallway or whatever. Man, there they were standing there looking at, me, you know, and uh, it's because they cared about me. And they want to make sure I was all right. Love it. I'm going to go switch switch tracks on you now. Let me pull this up. So I can, okay. This is my high tech. This is high, how high tech the scrap is. I'm using my phone to show the picture here. Woo. Will, will, I, get the, will, I, will I actually get? Oh, there. It'll snap into focus. Maybe. There you go. That's that's decent. Kind of see it. Hold yeah. Let me oh, yeah. Let me They've either seen it or they haven't. No doubt. If you live under a rock, you haven't seen these pictures. Let me see if I can get a snap. <laughs> you get the, the, oh. Yeah, be careful on. which way you scroll that. No doubt yeah. about it. There's been some... <laughs> Like the world's worst here. Can you see the smoke? It's all I'm trying to say. All yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody who can make these pictures work better for him, contact him, will you? Well, the problem is, is every time I try to switch screens, I freeze my stream and then I lose the scrap and it kills the live stream. And so I just quit oh, yeah. trying to do it. So I just, I use my phone. I should probably print them there out so I don't get the glare. But anyway, <laughs> bottom line is it's some freaking chugging ass black smoke and a shit ton of it. I want to hear about the fire. Uh, that <clears throat> go. All right. Well, so as like everything else, it's kind of a long story, but we're going to get to it. Okay. Yes. So, uh, I, I, I had been a firefighter in Houston for, I don't know, about 25 years before I made chief. Right. So I spent a lot of time on the engine. That was the best thing I had ever done. And, but, uh, anyway, long, I wasn't ever the downtown guy. So I was kind of an outcast, real cliquish downtown, especially. So they didn't want me. I was a north side trash, right? I, I just made <laughs> one storage and two stories. I kind of like Mo on the southwest. I was northwest side trash. So uh, they, I didn't know anything about being downtown, you know, and certain amount of that was true. I didn't know anything about being downtown. So I had this uh, idea of what a high-rise fire was supposed to look like. And it was, you know, a 20-story building, a little smoke or a fire coming out of the 13th floor. Hey, you know, I got it, right? right. So this was on Donald Trump's election day when this fire came in. I had been reading the emails from the FBI and everybody else about 
possible terrorist attacks and bombs and everything else. And uh, about one o'clock in the afternoon, I was making a tuna fish sandwich, which I'll never eat again in my life. And uh, a high rise fire came in. So, hey, Clyde, you got it, man. It's not a problem. So we started heading out and they send so many companies on the box. You know, I'm writing all my companies down on my board and uh, the girl driving me, she's making these left and rights and about the second right, she goes, oh, shit. <laughs> and uh, that's when, yeah, we saw that header of smoke. And I had never in my life seen smoke like that. Um, I've made a fire or two. And uh, chemical warehouses, I mean, you name it, ship fires, cargo ship. I've never seen that much smoke generated at 1 o'clock in the afternoon coming from miles away. So, uh if you go on YouTube and a lot of people have, you know, and they watch that video and you hear the initial radio communications and you'll hear me. And when you, if you want to hear a guy with vomit in his throat, that's all you have to do is listen to that because I'm telling you, I, uh, it was a odd sensation that first few blocks because I really went through a whole, at first I thought I was on that show pumped, you know, where they're like right. with you and, you, and right. Cause I was like, there's absolutely no way. I'm going to that. It was a very odd feeling like this truly cannot be real. Wake up clock. This looks bad. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I had this uh, split second feeling of just absolute sheer doom. Like there's no way I can bring these guys from this. This is the first fire I ever ran as a district chief. Wow. So I was absolutely just petrified for about, five seconds and i was like well okay i can't go that way don't go down that rabbit hole okay so uh you'll hear me mumbling and grumbling on the radio and i basically had to unkey the mic and slap myself in the face say get your shit together because there's a lot of people counting on you so uh uh you know these guys that travel the country and show you fires and nothing goes wrong and everything was perfect they are lying i'm promise you <laughs> uh, <laughs> But anyway, so the, the fire was the girl was backing her car out of the parking garage and she got it about to the middle of the parking garage and noticed there was a little flicker of flame under the dash. She ran up to the third floor apartment to get another bottle of water because she poured a bottle of water on the fire trying to put it out. In that stairwell, she dialed 911. So when they answered it, the call dropped. So the first engine that you see that comes in and gets on the deck gun they got it as a 911 hang up. So all of that smoke was laying to the east of them. Station seven, which is one of the hottest and best stations that we can come up with. Um, they That's why they showed up with basically a captain and all of them had no gear on. These are a number one type guys, but they're making a 911 hang up. Right. And about when the video clicks in and he starts filming it, that's about when they saw the column. So they're all trying to get their crap together. Uh, if you, uh, ladder 16, engine 16 came from a motor vehicle accident on the freeway. And I think they left people laying in the road on backboards probably because they saw the column and just took off and they weren't on the initial box either. So I had never even been dispatched when those first uh, units were arriving. Gotcha. But, uh, I think, I think really one of the biggest, um, things that changed the the tempo of that fire and saved people's lives was that first in engine seven coming in with Philip Baird driving and uh, 
just hitting that fire with that deck gun. He he flowed deck gun on tank water, which has always been a, you know, you never do that. Right. But uh, the guy was, if you just listen to him, he, 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 he adjusted his route because he knew what the better route would be. He came in and knew what that white bonnet meant to him. And he knew his positioning wasn't going to be perfect, but it was the best place that he could get that water supply and flow as much water as he could all by himself because he wasn't going to count on any of those guys helping him. He came in and made that decision. And the captain was smart enough to go, okay, so he could get dressed. And uh, that flowing that on tank, tank water, if you watch that film, it absolutely slows the tempo of that fire down. We had people on the Charlie side tying sheets together coming out of the third floor window. Um, all the stairwell, two stairwells on each wind were, were 100% compromised. Um, there were people going to die in there, and they were going to die quick. They had zero visibility in the hallways. The apartments weren't horrible, but the hallways were. Uh, they forced 100-and-something doors and zero visibility. I mean, it was a, it was a big deal, but that, that deck gun really made a big difference. But it ended up being seven cars burning in there. The spraying insulation that they used was the wrong kind. It was uh, flammable, not non-flammable. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> small and, small uh, difference. Yeah. And then the uh, the PVC pipe for the whole building that drained the sewer and all that came through there. So, you know, the black smoke and the BTUs from seven cars burning inside that closed parking garage is what really generated. I had no idea how big the building was. I guessed it was five. It was six. Um, I could not see that uh, initial picture that you showed that that was the alpha picture from the front of the car. So, uh, it had a lot going on. Once everybody got there, I kind of got my act together and it kind of flowed pretty well, but because they were so competent too, is really what it was all about. I love how you give them the credit, man. And, and, but, but everybody listening, man, if you want to see, uh, Dirk posted the clip, uh, the Houston 1508 Blodgett street and go listen to it. Cause, Tony Nunez says it best um, right here. Where's it at, Tony? Where'd it go? He says, uh, if anyone has any question on how to keep your cool during a hectic incident, you must watch the video. Chief Gordon says he fumbled through it, but really he nailed it, man. And that's the truth, man, because hearing you talk through that, dude, I don't know if you were just muting when you were losing it, and so it just sounds so good. You nailed it. <laughs> well, once I got there, it, it, it flowed pretty good, but I can promise you there was some uh... – on the way over there, and uh, yeah, it, I just—I <laughs> I can only imagine that, especially your first yeah. one is the I, district I might have chief. a little bit. I ain't gonna lie to you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Congratulations! Here's your promotion. Here's this header in the sky. Go do, go deal with yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, it was absolutely like it was hypnotic. And if you look at the reflection of that first in engine, cap, Captain, that, that's that's uh, Captain Likens, man. This guy is a hundred percent. Now he's on the short list, right? And he's just like. I was like, dude, what were you doing? You know, he's he's like, man, I just I you just had to stare at it for a second. It was absolutely incredible. So no doubt it, it was it was an odd sensation. Never had it before and hopefully never have it again. Um I always like to research when my guests are coming on and ask and my as my network grows, I get to do this more and more. So I asked some of your friends about the best questions to ask you. And actually I was told to ask you about Chief Lemoyne. Because they said you had roughly a thousand stories or so from working for Chief Lemoyne. <laughs> um, well, Chief Lemoyne was really one of my first chiefs. That uh, he was an old school chief, but he really taught me 
what it was like to just take care of your people. Because if you work for Richard Lemoyne, you didn't have to worry about nothing. Um, he was going to take care of you, and he was going to take all the heat that needed to be taken. If you'd have made a mistake, he was definitely going to let you know about it, and he was going to deal with that mistake. But you would never hear that from anybody else but him. Nice. He was going to take the butt chewing that you deserved. Then he was going to come speak to you. And he was just a good guy, man. He took good, good care of me. And and I've been lucky to work with a lot of good officers and a lot of good chiefs. Jerry Wedgworth was another one. He, as I was a brand new engine captain, he was, uh, he was just outstanding. He, he always had our back and, and it, it made me feel good because as a, as a captain like that, you want to be counted on by those guys. And, uh, I, I would tell my crew, I was like, hey, over time when I was new there, I said, look, we're going we're gonna to drive by people staged to go in and do work, <laughs> right? Because that's who we're going to be. And uh, they took pride in that, and uh, I took pride in it. And he jokingly told me, he said, man, I'll keep calling multiples till I can get you guys coming my way, and then we'll turn the other ones around, right? So, I mean, that's a good place to be in. Sometimes at 3 in the morning after the third burner, you know, you – you, you kind of wish you weren't that guy. Cause you right. really like to take a breath. <laughs> but, uh, Hey man, I'll take it. I'll make fire every day if they'll let me. So beautiful, man. But, yeah. Good, good guys, man. And, and you learn from them and you take the good from them and you, and you move on, you know, and, and apply that towards what you do. And it sounds like he shaped a lot of your leadership style as far as. Oh yeah, absolutely. Both of those guys really, really did. And, Really, but the underlying thing is it's it's all about other people. Like I don't get selfishness. That's just not me, you know, and it really pisses me off, you know, but right. um, they put me in a position to be there for these folks, you know. Um, my guys, they, they have no idea, and I bet Mo can say the same. They have no idea what comes trickling down and, and hits us but never goes any further. You know what I mean? Yes. Because we just deal with it. It's not, we'll take care of it. You know what I mean? So. I love it, man. I love, 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 love. Okay. Uh, the trust that people put in firefighters. Uh, Howard said you had a unique perspective on this. I don't know uh, the story, or where, but you say talk about the trust that people put in firefighters. You've alluded to it before. I just want to know what the story was. <clears throat> um, well, you know, I think. The trust is one of the biggest commodities that we have. Did I lose you? Hold up. Like, you know, if, if the fire service ever, right? I lose you. Just for a second, you're back. Let's see if you're back. Okay. Keep on starting. Go ahead. All right. Yeah, so um, trust in public, you know, that that's, that's what we have above everybody else. Mm-hmm. Where, where could you be at three in the morning in a stranger's house with his wife and baby and call him because he's working the night shift somewhere and go, hey, I'm here with your wife and kid and we're going to, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it doesn't exist in any other job. But if you tell him, hey, this is used to fire department, your wife called 911, she's sick, right? Um, but, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm not sure what Howard's really alluding to. Um, like I told you earlier, I've, I've learned a lot of things uh, over 50-something years of me being alive. And sometimes life is hard, 
you know, and uh, you're dealt a really, really hard situation. And, uh, and and we've had that in our, our life and our family. Um, you know, my little girl, uh, she ended up passing away when she was young. And it taught me so many things that, uh, you know, that's, that is the worst possible thing that can happen to you. I cannot imagine. But there's there's this things that you learn from that, right? And what she taught me was one of the things she taught me was how important what we actually did is because I've gone through that grief and that heartache that no parent should have to go through. So but there were people in that situation as it was going on that I had put so much trust and faith in. And over time, I realized that people place that kind of trust and faith in us Mm. also. Mine was was a pediatrician, was a doctor, right? That in my worst possible moment, I had placed everything on them. And they weren't able to do what they, they just weren't able to fix my problem. Right. And that's us, right. We can't always fix everybody's problem. Bad things happen. Mm -hmm. But what it taught me was just how important that anybody can be in someone's life and certain points in certain times. Okay. God didn't put me together to be a pediatrician. (laughs) God put me together to be a fireman and a leader of men and a person who is willing to go through a blacked out window looking for your kid because i can promise you as sick as i was and as desperate as i was and the the more i wanted him to help me in my desperate situation when you're standing in that front yard as a mama or a daddy and you know your babies are still in there you are in the same desperate situation Hmm. And your trust is 100% on that firefighter that pulls up, that he is going to pull up, do the right things, get the line off in a rapid rate, get through the window. Everything you have is on them. And that's who we are. I'm not a pediatrician. I don't make that kind of money. But I'm telling you, at 3 o'clock in the morning, those people don't want a pediatrician. They want a guy who's brave enough or a girl who's brave enough to get in that window and go find their baby. And that's what we have to understand. When you get complacent, you get lazy, you get whatever, you got to understand that at any moment, the brother sitting next to you may be that desperate for you to be on top of what you're doing. But we owe it to people. And that's the trust we have in them. They don't worry about us every day. They just know we're there. But when they call us in that environment, in that situation, at that moment of time in their life, they are trusting you 100%. And me as a leader of those people, I owe it to all of them. And I have to be able to lay my head down at night knowing I did everything I could. Maybe it didn't work out the way I wanted it to, but we did every single thing we could. Doesn't mean we did it perfectly because guess what? It doesn't always go right. But it wasn't because we were lazy, complacent, or we had given up the trust that the public has in us. And when you live life and you experience things like that, I think it changes your perspective. Like I get it. I truly get it. I get what it feels like to be completely reliant upon someone else, especially when you're a control person, right? We're controllers and fixers. 
to give all of that to someone else. So that's like I don't get it, right? I just don't get guys who show up and they're not ready to go, all right? I don't get it. I don't get it. Like, uh, very, very powerful. Powerful, Chief. Um, I don't even want to – and I think that that's what Howard was referring to. I think he just knocked it out of the park. So um, I'll switch up on you and say – what is something, because you've done this for 36 years now, 30 years with HFD, uh, what's something you've learned in the last 36 years that, like, the young, invincible Clyde Gordon would laugh at, you know, if, if you went back in time, the Back to the Future style with a DeLorean? Oh. He's like, that'll never well, be me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that couldn't happen. <laughs> um, you know, I think for a long time, and this was a cultural thing too, right? This is how I was raised. We were 10 feet tall and bulletproof. Mm -hmm. The Houston fire department, man, there ain't no better fire department in this country in our minds. Right. And, uh, highly aggressive, you know, uh, it was, it was interesting. I had some discussions the other day about the, you know, nozzles and this and all these things, but it, it made me realize that we didn't, we didn't cool with water and move forward. We just moved forward, and when it got too hot, we put more gear on, right? That's what we did. That's why our gear now is like almost to the point of crazy, okay? But um, we built armor and then walked to wherever that fire was, and we knocked it down. Never opened the nozzle until we saw orange. Um, I, I vividly recall double liners, double hoods. If you've ever seen our reed hood, it's thick as a bunker coat. Anyway, we'll wear two of them. We'd wear two pairs of gloves. If you found an old bunker coat laying around that no one wore, you cut the liner out of it, put it in yours. So if one's good, two's better, three's even great, right? So that's just how we did things. And I think the biggest change for me was thinking more than just doing, mm. right? Um, I never even considered getting hurt. I never even was told that you would get hurt. We got off the apparatus. We walked to the front door and we started flowing water. Um, I think now... Um, just my open-mindedness on there's other way to do things. You know, I try to be more well-rounded, right? I still do things a certain way, sure. but I, I have to be uh, open-minded enough to, to adjust to what's going on because things have changed. We made lots of stuff burning like crazy, but it was shiplap, bullpine, okay? Uh, look good, man, fun, 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 but big ass bonfire is what it was right we just made lots and lots and lots of them. <laughs> uh, uh so uh but now i think guys get you know they'll only use one nozzle they'll only do this they'll only do that you have to you have to open your mind to it and even in my position now there's been fires over the last three four years that i did what we've always done and it just didn't work and and i really i kind of failed on that end we burned it to the ground just because I wasn't open enough to go, let's go over here and do something that we've never done before that I wouldn't necessarily tell all my friends, but because of the construction and everything else, it was the right thing to do. But that was in hindsight. So um, another thing is, is the biggest thing is, is that someone in, you know, would want to watch me on the internet or go to a conference and listen to me speak. I love this. I love this job that to this day, my page over here for my little hometown is sitting here. If they had a house fire, I'd have to leave. So um, I love this, uh, what we do, but I never thought anybody would care what I had to say about it. 
No, I, I, you have a gift. You have a very natural gift for for uh, expressing your stories, and it's very fun. So, the last one for you here before we go into other stuff is, in your time of being a firefighter, what is the biggest shift you have seen through the years since you started to the present day? What's the biggest shift? <clears throat> well, I think I think. Uh... I'm just going to say how smart firemen are, you know, I don't know if that's exactly accurate, but just the, the amount of information that you have available to you now, now granted it has to be vetted. Anybody can be an expert in about five minutes if they know how to use a computer. Right. But uh, there's just so much information and so many people are putting so much effort into teaching us what to do, what's going on. You know what I mean? When I came in, I had the three qualifications they were looking for, and that was big, dumb, and strong. I was big enough to move anything. I was dumb enough not to ask any questions. That was it. That's what they wanted, right? And brave enough to do whatever. Uh, but now there's just so much information out there. And I talk with guys like Dennis Laguerre and Kyle Romagus and, and these guys, and I'm just standing there with my mouth open. I'm just floored at what they know. And I'm like – how do you know that, you know, but, uh, it's the opportunity they have and, and their way their brain works and, and all the information that's out there. So to me, really that that's the biggest difference. There is no reason for you to be ignorant right mm, now. Right. Strong. Um, you know, there's just no reason, uh, because the information's there and, and you have to be, uh, humble enough to open your mind and allow, yourself to change and accept things that are different. Uh, that's what I've had to do. Love it. Everybody. I'm just telling you, I'm aware of the technical issues, but so far the audio seems good. So I'm letting it ride. He is freezing up, but he's also unlocked now. So we're good. I think. So anyway, thank you for the heads up. Um, where are we at? I want to throw this at you. Uh, Dirk Janiak wants to know, tactics and strategies are tough to change within a fire department. There's no doubt about that. How do you personally introduce changes to your battalion or district? So, yeah, you know, the the positive thing about me traveling around a lot is I get to talk to guys like Kirk Ickerson and Ray McCormick and Rob Fisher and, you know, um, Man, I, I again, I stand there and go, God dang, I wish somebody had told me that 30 <laughs> years ago, right? Right. Uh, so I do. I bring home a lot of stuff. You know, I haven't it, it reinvented the wheel, but, uh, you know, booster backup, right? Um, that's a really great tactic, especially when you're low on manpower and, you know, you don't have plugs on every corner. Well, I have both. I have manpower and plugs on every corner, but you know what we do in District 8? Lots of times I do booster backup because nice. guess what? I need those extra three guys to get in there and stretch that line to the fourth floor of a townhome or whatever. So we use it, you know, uh, and that's something no one uses in the fire department in Houston that I'm aware of. Maybe a couple. There's a few out there. Probably Mo thinks about it or whatever. But um, leader lines, uh, you know, I got long stretches and we're we were an apartment lay fire department forever. You know, we pulled four inch, three inch, whatever, with a gated wire, forever. I mean, we don't do it in District 8. We pull two and a half inch, three quarter in. And that's all because of Kurt, you know. Um, and guess what? As soon as I saw that, 
I called them and said, this is what y'all need to start doing from Florida. <laughs> because, uh, hey, that, that was exactly what we needed to be doing. I just didn't know about it, right? right? We got a two or 300 foot stretch to a four foot townhome that's 16 inches away from eight other townhomes just like that. It started on the alpha side, 90% of them start in the garage or on the first floor and the, the people are sleeping on the fourth floor. It needs a kick right in the teeth of that two and a half and we move in with that inch three quarter. It works. It's the best thing I've ever seen. And so my, my group is real comfortable with it and I'm trying to spread it out. You know, we have 20 something districts. That's like basically 20 mutual aid departments. So I try <laughs> to spread it out, but, but <laughs> it, it is right. No, Cause no, everybody's a little different. Sure. Leaders are different, but I can tell you how I do it. I go, Hey, this is what we're going to do. And I'll bring people in if I need to, to show them. Uh, and then we're going to practice it. But I'm also open-minded. You guys tell me. I don't stretch inch and three quarter. I don't stretch two and a half. So tell me how it works for us. Right. And I'm talking to my engine captains and the firefighters and everything else. I think this is going to be good, but you tell me how this is going to work and let them mess with it for a while. And most times, you know, it does work for us, but they'll come in. If it doesn't, they'll say, we think that sucks. And this is what we're going to do. Right. And Hey, I don't care. I just, when I come in and tell you make an offensive attack and make a primary search on the third floor, it just better happen really fast. I don't care how you do it. I don't care what color hose is. I don't care. But it better happen very efficiently. And uh, if it doesn't, then we'll deal with that. You're making it very tough to figure out which soundbite I want to use when I hype the show. When I when I take out the 30-second soundbite. Uh, it's beautiful. John W. Naninga said, fast water wins and leader line makes it possible. Scott Slocum said, awesome guest. Man, Seth Thompson said, listen, the scrap is always inspirational. Thank you for that. But this one is damn near moving. So there you go, man. You're going to get in the, this is one of my favorite quotes. Well, it's, there is no reason to be ignorant right now. That's like, absolutely that's not. beautiful, man. I mean, I just don't get it. You know, there's just no reason. I, Dirk, I really do agree with that kind of, but you know, I still say company officer. I won't back off company officer. Dirk was saying, so the best position in the fire service is battalion chief. So the more, the longer I'm in the position, the more I kind of agree, but no company officer. But anyway, well, I, I will tell you the engine company officer was, Oh, I love it. And I would have done that forever. I think, um, but changes in our running and everything else. I was like, ah, and then I got hurt pretty bad a couple of times and broke my back and everything, you know, so I could see the riding on the wall. You're going to ride, make 25 runs on an engine and two or three fires when you're as old as I am. So, uh, I will tell you now in the position I am in life now, the DC, I love being a district chief because I get involved in as much as I want to. Um, I can make change, uh, I love being with these guys and girls and leading these guys. I, I'm just so proud of them. I feel like a dad. You know what I mean? Yes, like yes. when they come out and they've killed it, man, I'm as proud as they are, you know, uh, because it's a group thing. It took me and them and you and everybody to make that happen. So, uh, Christopher Armager said, when you say leader line versus apartment lay, 
Do you mean two and a half with the nozzle, then breaking the nozzle away and connecting the inch and three quarter after the gut punch? Like Yeah, yeah. So we we got, you know, our engine coming that one that one guy can stretch that two and a half uh, with a nozzle on the end. And you know, I'm all about interior tech. Don't get me wrong. But if you're laying on the fourth floor dying of smoke and you got cars in the first floor burning and that guy can open up that two and a half for, I don't know, five seconds, 10 seconds, and kick it right in the teeth, kind of like they did the garage fire. That's what you got to do. I mean, that's just the right thing to do. If I put your kid up there, that's what you'd want me to do. So, you know, pride or whatever you call it, that's what you're going to want me to do. So, um, so yeah, we'll pull that leader line with that nozzle, knock it in its teeth about that time. The uh, inch three quarter bundle is showing up. They hook it in and they make interior. Love it. <laughs> there you go. And I'll, I double because like I'm manpower heavy, right? Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> if it's a upper floor fire, these are real narrow, very tall townhomes is kind of a, a bunch of what they're building around me. And uh, so I'll double the first and second. That's where I do the uh, booster backup. I'll double the first and second engine. So basically I have a six man host team, almost like high rise operations or standpipe operations. They'll get that line up that stairwell to get those upper floors it just makes it easier but it's a luxury that i have i have the people right so. right no it's and yeah if you got three guys you better be hitting it with that two and a half and knocking it down so you can get in there and do something else chris Romer said thanks chief so there you go uh arnolfo banda go. said chief gordon knows too much to put into one podcast episode he needs more than one i agree you need more than one, so I'll have you back. Yeah. And the thing is, I love doing these mega scraps. I've only done the one mega scrap so far. The next one is coming up in April, and it's all about. It was supposed to be the original one. It's Mayday and Rit. It's Basil, um, uh, Jim McCormick, and and Robert Ramirez. Going to do nothing but talk about Mayday and Rit. And then I've got one planned for the June July area. It's Dina Ali, Blake Stennett, and uh, I've got yet to be determined the third person that's going to talk about nothing but mental health. So anyway. There's lots of uh, mega scraps in the future that we can get somebody, uh, you know, current guest involved in. So, all that being said, book or books? Are you? I don't know if you're a reader or not, but book or book? I see, I see John Norman back there. I see Clark back there. Oh yeah, I can't yeah. see the other ones. I got all the classics back there, right? Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I, but I want to know, uh, book or books? Do you think firefighters should be reading? Doesn't have to be firefighter book, but what do you think they should be reading? So I just. Uh... You know, I've never been a big reader, and I, I hate to admit that, but it's true. But uh, Oramagus got me hooked on this, uh, the audio stuff, right? Oh, yeah. So that is that has been a blessing to me. I've read more books in the last year or two than I ever have in my life just by traveling and listening and driving to work. Um, I just did Endurance. Uh, uh, Dennis Laguerre got me to uh, do Endurance, and it's about uh, – the expedition to the Antarctic, but anyway, great leadership book, just how they held together for two years, basically freezing to death. And, and none, none of them died. Is that Shackleton? Yeah, that was a really good, huh? Is that Shackleton? The, the, is that, yes, okay. Shackleton. Okay. Is that his, yeah. his ship was, yeah. There? Okay. But yeah, it's called the endurance. That's a great book. Okay. Man. And, uh, of course I like, uh, Dennis Smith stuff and, and all the fire leadership stuff. And, um, you know, uh, uh, Marcus Luttrell, his things. Uh, I, I had the luxury of at least I know his brother well, and okay. uh, you know, so I got a little personal. Uh, I've met him several times, anyway. But great guy, just just unbelievable stuff. So, you know, 
Um, I think if you could, again, if you're ignorant, <laughs> what are you doing, right? <laughs> yeah, get some books, start looking and reading, and and uh, you know, I get it too. I, I get tired and I get burned out, and I had COVID for the second time, or you know, just a few weeks ago, and like you're just beat up, right? But get in some books, go to a class, go to a conference, and all of a sudden, man, here you are. You're you're back into it again because it, it, it really is the best job in the world and it's what we're all about. A thousand percent. Love it. Okay. Where are my where's my notes? They went away. Pulling them up. I'm finding them. <laughs> this has been I'm the sorry, mo- I live way out in the country, man. No one wants to live in Houston, okay? So my internet is <laughs> You've been sketchy doing at best. You've frozen a couple times, but so far I I was worried when we started I would have to be like, Okay, I'm gonna uh, we'll try Clyde again sometime in the future, but tonight you get me. But it's been good. It's been solid. So no complaints. Uh, have a thing we do. It used to be the five questions for firefighters, but now we are at the next five questions for firefighters. So, Chief Clyde Gordon, are you ready for the next five questions for firefighters? I hope so. Now, the answers are completely your opinion, and the points are completely arbitrary and passed out by me. So here we go. <laughs> You've already answered number four, so you already got max points, so the pressure's off. Okay, phew. Number one, what single characteristic makes the difference between a run-of-the-mill firefighter and the top-tier go-to badass firefighter? Oh, it's hard. Um, You know, I don't care anything about you physically. Well, I don't care what color you are, what... What's between your legs? That means nothing to me. It's all about heart. Um, if you have the heart to do this, that's what's going to take you to the next level because that you're always going to have that measuring stick up against yourself and the people around you. You're always going to push to be the best you can be. You're going to get it. You're going to get why you're there, that it matters that you're the best you can be because the the person sitting next to you is counting on you. Everybody else is counting on you. So I really... I mean, I've known a lot of firemen, but uh, if I if I think it's some of the ones that to me are just absolutely the best, it's their heart and and it, and it their heart for the job, but their heart for the people around them too. They care, they get it right. Um, that, that's really just what it is. I mean, the guys I want to hang out out with, they love firemen as much as I do, and uh, they care about them. And when they're, it's like the, man, St. Louis and Baltimore, right? Man, mm. my heart's broken no for those people. No doubt. No doubt. I get it, you know, and, and it brings tears to my eyes because I, I know, I know. And I know how heartbroken everybody is there. But, uh, you know, them guys had heart, you know, and uh, they didn't expect that to happen. And they hate that it did happen. But, uh, you know, they're, that's just part of it, man. It just, it just, an unfortunate situation of what we do. So, but your heart, I think has the biggest part to do with it. Yeah. I can't argue with that. And, and I think everybody in the audience agrees. That's max points for a great answer. When you say heart, not just saying heart, but explaining what you mean by it, man, it's a beautiful answer. Number two, if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice, someone asked this earlier because, so I I held off, but give yourself one piece of advice as a rookie. What would it be? Um, I think, uh, learn everything you can, uh, would be initially and, and don't learn it only from the guy next to you or your station captain or whatever. 
Um, I did learn a lot, but I can tell you everything about the Houston Fire Department, but don't ask me one thing about Dallas because I don't know, and they're only a few hours down the road, right? Uh, it's a big old silo that I live in, and until I was able to start traveling and really start looking and reading and doing these other things, that I started learning tidbits from all all over the place, right? One of the first times I ever met Rob, I don't even remember what he did, but he did some little hoopty with a ladder, and I was like, oh, my God, I, you know, that would have made my life so much easier if that guy would have been around and showed me that, right? right. Um, but it, I was, it also impressed upon me of how dumb I was for not seeking that somewhere. Go find it, right? So uh, learn as much as you could would be one of the things. Uh, travel, go to these conferences, hang out with guys who are like you. And uh, nowadays, you know, I would love – I have people come to me all the time and say, hey, man, you remember that time we did so-and-so? And I'm like, no, nah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, <laughs> you guys have every opportunity in the world to basically document the best job, best career, best everything that you'll ever be exposed to. I would write down, take pictures, all of those things of the good and the bad, right? Because I promise you, the older you get, you're going to want to look back and think about things because it's going to keep changing and you're going to see differences and I don't know. I just think it would be really cool to have a record of the stuff I did in 1996. I don't, man, I don't know. It was a bunch of it, but I don't know what it was. Right. You know? I feel but, uh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I just think it would be cool. And I think a lot of the books we read, guess what those guys did? They wrote crap down. <laughs> you know? Yep. So, I love know, it, so man. That's what I Great answer, man. Uh, number three, what is your favorite training drill? Oh, hmm. Well, I think just overall, I had the, the, uh, Mo and I had the, the, uh, honor to go up to Indy with Jim. Mm. And, uh, other than thinking I was going to die a couple of times, probably just because that dude's a machine, man. <laughs> Woo. That ain't for the light of heart, but absolute honor to be there. But, um, to answer the question, he hammers and hammers and hammers the basics. And I agree 100%. We live and die by the basics. Mm. If your if your apparatus placement sucks, your stretch is going to suck. If your stretch sucks, your fire attack's going to suck. Your fire attack sucks, your search is going to suck. I mean, we have to kill the basics. And I know we get tired of doing that, but you should be able to do it just without thought that way when the curveballs come man, it's no big deal you you can you can adjust a little bit and and you're Knock fine out of the park um every problem i see on the fire ground very very rarely is it some complicated off the wall thing it's a 90 degree kink in a piece of hose or something you know it's the basics and if you're just if when we don't know what to do we're going to go Stretch some hose or something. You know what I mean? No, so, I love uh, that. That that's what you have to do. I love the answer, man. Fundamentals, basics, man. Period. I love that yeah. answer. Max points, one hundred percent. Well, that's up there in Indy, man. It's basics in the worst possible environment that he can create, and that's where that's where the you know the rubber meets the road, man. If you can do, home. if you can still stretch hose into a basement when you think you're burning to death and can see nothing. 
man, you're good to go. You'll be all right. <laughs> That's hard to argue with. Now you answered this one. Basically you answered this one earlier, but I'm throwing it at you just to what number four is what mistake have you learned the most from in your fire service career? And so I, you don't have to rehash, but if you have another. Yeah, no, I just think, you know, not dealing with the problems, right? When problems occur, uh, you got to deal with them. Uh, one of the things I have learned to that, if I'm really mad, I get I give myself some time most of the time. I really try to do that now, because uh, you know you, you can just get out of out of out of sorts sometimes. But man, if you got a problem, you got to deal with it. Don't don't be worried about hurting people. It's business. You can be my best friend, but this is business right now, and your actions are detrimental to the group. So nice. I need to take care of that, and that's really what it boils down to. No matter what it is, you can't get to work on time. Whatever, just got to take care of it. And time never makes problems better. No, 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 no. And and I think that's you gain respect that way. Because guess what? Hey, man, did y'all see he chewed his best friend out? Yeah. You know what I mean? Those guys have been friends for 25 years, and guess he didn't get away with that. You know what I mean? And, uh, and a big it, thing it, is, it, like, because like, I know this from you, you build relationships, obviously. You build relationships. And when you have that relationship, you can go to somebody and say, hey, you're not meeting this expectation. And they can accept it from you because they know you're doing it for their benefit not because of any other ulterior motive you know sure they know right they know it's they, they know it's a problem a true right. problem if i'm saying something to them yeah no i love it uh beautiful okay final question excuse me heavy fire searchable space would you rather be assigned to the nozzle or first in on ves oh yeah i mean duh right <laughs> the nozzle <laughs> everybody Does says duh. Ever and then i get a different answer i don't know uh, no no i mean um i didn't like truck work to be honest with you, you know we're search is truck work in houston and uh now obviously if i'm going in there to find somebody right i mean that's the highlight of the truck work to me but uh yeah no nah, man if i can get in there and fight fire with the boys, man, I'm going to. And if they're not careful and they assign me some r- random assignment on the fire ground, that's not instant command. I might be in there with them anyway. So they, they gotta be, really, <laughs> they gotta watch out. Cause I'll sneak up behind them pretty quick if I can. Beautiful, man. Beautiful. There it is. The five questions that the next five questions for firefighters, according to chief Clyde Gordon. Thank you, sir, for answering them. I really did appreciate it. Um, Rob Fisher said, it's okay, brother. Truck work isn't for everyone. <laughs> well, you know. There's awesome. Hey, guys, you that guys. Nozzles are... a... Go ahead. No, I said, that nozzle's a... where the thinking man is. I mean, how hard is it to walk around and watch what engine companies do from the roof? I love it. This this will be a whole, I'm just going to have a whole, like, fire back and forth, like, roast session sometime. Truck versus, <laughs> truck versus engine. Um <laughs> Uh, yes, Joe Harvey said, first grab. Won't be the last. Chief Gordon is always inspirational. Great stuff. Absolutely. I was going to say something. I completely lost my train of thought, so it's all good. It doesn't matter. Where can people get a hold of you? Where can they book a class? What What do they need to do to find out what you're doing next, et cetera, or ask you questions? Go. <clears throat> so uh, uh, FD Tactics, you know, I work with Howard Reinwalt. Um I'm on Facebook. That's all I know how to do as far as social media is concerned. Um, <clears throat> and then uh, contact me directly is uh, 
not an issue, right? Or through Messenger. A lot of people connect through Messenger. I also have done things with a, a Kurt Isaacson. He can get a hold of me. So uh, any of those things work. And I don't care if people call me, email me, whatever. It doesn't bother me. I, I tell people, you know, we're from Texas. So if you're a creepy stalker, right? I know people, I know a guy owns a ranch in South Texas. You just go away. Okay. So I love you, but if you're the creepy stalker, don't stalk me. But other than that, man, I, I'd love talking with firemen and I'd love to uh, go anywhere. Anybody wants me to come, you know, I, I really enjoy it. It's been a, it's been a true honor to be able to share things with folks. And, and I just speak from the heart, man. I, I'm not polished. I'm not, uh, uh, it's just, it's just what I've lived. It's, when I was 16 years old, I walked into the fi volunteer fire department for the first time. The whole reason I was there is because my best friend got 50% discount on pizza, and I wanted 50% discount on pizza <laughs> for being a member of the volunteer fire department. I still enjoy pizza, if you can't tell, but, you know, it was something that I was put together to do. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, that was a long time ago. So, uh, I love it. And just the thought that got, people want to hear me say something is, uh, also pretty mind blowing to me, but, uh, I love firemen. I love hanging out and I love talking about fires. So beautiful brother. Beautiful man. So there it is officially 124 scraps in the books. Uh, Chief Clyde Gordon killing it. Um, where am I at? Let me see. Firehousevigilance.com. Shirts, hats, every hat except for Loden and Camo are in stock. So uh, if you want a hat or a shirt, go get it. Next up, coming up to kick off February, February 1, Bobby Eckert. I mean, as a host of a show, I've got like, like, it's unreal the, the quality of guests I get. So from Clyde Gordon, Ray McCormick. Uh, Brian Bastinelli, you know, it's just Dennis Laguerre. It's just like I'm blown away that people keep saying yes. So I think I'm thankful is what I will say. Uh, next place I'm heading to to teach, Les Lukert up in uh, Nebraska. I'll be teaching up there. If you see me there, get a picture because I love I'm terrible at getting pictures. So I try to say it on here as often as possible. If you see me, ask to get a picture and then give me the picture because I want to post the mutts don't scrap pictures. If you think the scrap brings value to your firefighter life, go to firehousevigilance.com. Please support the scrap so that I never have to read an ad on here live while we're doing this. That's that's as close as we'll get to an ad is go support it. Um, I love showing off coins. This one is from Brian Bastinelli who came on the scrap a couple weeks ago. And beautiful, beautiful. I'll, sh I'll show it off right there so I get it to focus. Snap into focus. Lieutenant Denny DeVoe, 401 there. Bureau of Fire, Harrisburg Bureau of Fire. Memory coin. Beautiful. It's going in the collection back there. I will add it. If you want to add a coin to the collection, man, just, just send it to me. Reach out to me anywhere you want. Um, uh, I think that's everything I got. Clyde, I cannot say thank you enough for coming on, sharing your story, sharing your passion, and answering the audience's questions, brother. Did I lose you? I'm here now. You there? Uh, yes. Yes, you are. You're not moving, but I can right, hear you. You're okay, yeah, I can't see you either, but I'm still here. <laughs> Fair enough. Hey, we're we're at the we're at we're sliding into home place now, so we're good. Uh thank you, brother, okay. for, for everything. Thanks for sharing the story with me. Um everybody, audience, 
The scrap wouldn't happen without you. Remember, mutts don't scrap. I hope the tone stays silent. Unless it's burning, stay safe out there. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Scrap. Please subscribe and please share. We'll see you at the next episode.